Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. God using Moses to bring the children of Israel out of the bondage and slavery of Egypt. And here's Jesus bringing us out of the bondage and slavery of sin, of deception, of, of death. And so it's a glorious picture for us. There he is in glory, speaking of his decease. In today's broadcast, we start a new two-part message from Pastor Sam entitled, Transfigured and Tried. Over the next two broadcasts, we will be looking at the remainder of Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 27 today. There's a lot of things happening in this section, and we begin today by looking at the transfiguration of Jesus as recorded by Luke. So let's dive in. Let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Looking at verses 20. 7 through 62, Luke 9, 27 through 62, transfigured and tried. For those of you fortunate enough to get away to one of the men's retreats or ladies' retreats or one of the junior high or high school retreats up in the mountains, well, most of us who've done it have had a common experience, and that is the radical, wonderful mountaintop experience is almost always followed by, well, reality back home. In fact, we've started saying that at the retreat, see you back in reality, because there's something glorious about getting away and worshiping and seeing the glory of God and hanging with like-minded people, and not just for a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or a home fellowship, but for an entire weekend or an entire week as some of the camps are extended. Well, that's what happens here. The disciples have this glorious, ultimate mountaintop experience with the Lord. Then they have to get back to reality, back to the valley below where there's all sorts of difficulties and, and situations. Well, it begins in verse 27 for us. I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. We mentioned at the conclusion of our last study, verse 27 bridges the things that have proceeded with those things that follow. And there have been a lot of interesting ideas well floated as to what Jesus was actually getting at. Who is he talking about when he says, some of you aren't going to die before you see the kingdom of God. Well, I think that the solution to these kinds of questions most often are right in the passage itself. And I believe that's the case here. Verse 28, I believe, explains exactly what he was talking about and who he was talking about. It said it came to pass about eight days after these sayings, he took Peter John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. Behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with them. Here we have it. The inner circle, Peter, James, and John with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. The ultimate 
mountaintop experience. He prayed and they slept. Now, this ends up being a bit of a pattern for them. And I've been a little harder, I think, on them than I should be. And here's why I've come to that conclusion. Though we know it's a problem here, it will be a problem in the Garden of Gethsemane right prior to Jesus' arrest. He's like, hey, stay awake and pray. He prays, they sleep. Here's what I've observed so far as we've walked through Luke this time, that Jesus was a man on a mission. He didn't have to pray as we're instructed to teach us to number our days. He knew his days were short. He knew his time was near at hand. And, and so he ministers from daybreak until late into the evening, and then he'll spend entire nights in prayer and then he's right back ministering to the people. The disciples, well, they're made of the same stuff as us, you see. And yes, they're on a mission and they're even a little confused about what that is at this point. We're going to see that clearly. But, but the bottom line is to stay up with Jesus, you would have to be as aware as he was, as sensitive as he was to the fact that, hey, life is short. And he knew his time with them would pass quickly. His opportunity to minister to the needy would pass quickly. So we see him on a mission. As he prayed, we read, he was transfigured before their very eyes. It's a glorious picture for us. What was going on inside of Jesus, his purity, his glory, his majesty, his holiness. It shone forth so that when they awoke, they could see Jesus as we will someday see him there at the throne of God. Now, I was thinking how different it would be if what's inside of me, if what's inside of you were manifested on the outside. I'd suggest we wouldn't be sitting as close together as we are. And the, the, the deal is what's inside of me isn't pure glory, isn't pure holy, isn't pure majesty. In fact, Jesus makes this quite clear in Mark 7. Let me read it to you. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lawlessness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. Well, the truth is we get to see what's really happening inside of Jesus as the glory radiates through and, and shines around. And, and that's the picture that's developed here. By the way, one of the things that we get to see in this passage, and I so appreciate God's timing as we prepare to share in communion, we get to see into the, the hearts of these guys. We get to see what Jesus saw as he begins to expose their, their attitudes and, and their ambitions and all the things that he wanted to change in them. And of course, that will be good for us because he has the same plan to transform us. He meets with two men on that mountaintop, Moses and Elijah. Moses represents the law, and the law speaks to our need for redemption. 
anyone who's read the Ten Commandments and looks at them honestly will have to acknowledge, I am a breaker of God's law. And of course, that was his intention. The law is supposed to show us our sin. It was never meant to cleanse us any more than a mirror can cleanse you from the dirt and defilement that's all over. If you're out and you look in the mirror, you need water and soap to clean up. And so it's not the law, it's not the mirror that it's going to cleanse, but it, it's, well, the blood of Christ judicially and the word of God practically. So Moses represents the law and our need for redemption. Elijah represents the prophets and God's promise of a redeemer. Jesus, of course, God's provision. He is the fulfillment of the law. He is the fulfillment of the prophets. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. There are a couple other beyond interesting things here. We get a glorious picture of the grace of God in that Moses even shows up on the Mount of Transfiguration. If you're familiar, God spent 40 years preparing him in Egypt, then 40 years preparing him in the wilderness, and then 40 years as he led God's people through that wilderness. As they murmured and complained and they were idolatrous and immoral and one thing after another, Moses stood strong, represented the Lord, stood in the gap, prayed for him. And then finally, he's had it. If you're a parent, you totally get this. You let something go and you let something go and you let something go. Then all of a sudden you explode and your kids are like, wow, that's a little bit of an overreaction. Not if you knew all I let go. Well, that's what happens to Moses. He, he, he sees all this and finally he can't take any more. The people are thirsty. Nothing wrong with that. They cry out for water. God doesn't mind that. God tells him to go out and speak to the rock and water will come forth. Well, Moses had an experience earlier with the rock. He came out first time he was told to smite the rock. Water gushed forth. This time he comes out instead of speaking to the rock as God commands, he smites the rock. It blows a whole lot of things. You see, the rock represents Jesus who followed them through the wilderness and was provided the, the water and, and the bread of life, all the things that they needed. So smiting the rock a second time, it sort of messes up a beautiful Old Testament type that the Messiah, the Savior, would be smitten once, would be bruised and uh, crucified for us. So he hits the rock and, and he's like, how long do we have to put up with you rebels? And God's like, hey, Moses, come here. We who? It's like, I'm not mad at these guys. What are you doing? And for that one sin of misrepresenting the Lord, hey, and this sobers me as a pastor, as a parent, as a grandparent, for that one sin of misrepresenting the Lord, Moses was forbidden access to entrance into the promised land. Now, the grace of God, I said, is demonstrated in this passage. How so? Hey, the mount they're meeting on is in the promised land. Now, I had to wait about 3,000 years and... But if you remember, a day with the Lord is like a thousand years. And most have been hanging out with the Lord. So it's not all that bad. But here he is. The grace of God demonstrated in that, that he's there in the promised land. He's with Elijah, who's representing the prophets. These guys, by the way, do represent, well, another picture for us. 
Moses represents all who will die and be resurrected. The Bible tells us that there was a dispute over the body of Moses after his death. God actually buried Moses himself and Satan wanted the body for some reason and that's like not going to happen. And so there's this little battle that went on over that. Of course, God always wins. And, and so Moses represents those who die and are resurrected. Elijah never dies. He was caught up to heaven alive in a whirlwind before his uh, follower Elijah's very eyes. So we have a testimony in the, the writings of Scripture. And then Elijah, of course, represents those of us who will be alive and remain when that trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ rise first. We who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them. We have the resurrection represented by Moses. We have the rapture represented by Elijah. And so we have this glorious picture of things that have happened in the past that look forward and promise great things in the future. There is one other thing, and, and it's a small thing, but I don't want to fail to remember to mention it. Peter recognizes these guys, and I like that as well. Someone asked some time back, and I'm sure you've heard it, you know, will we recognize one another in heaven? Of course we will. John Corson's comment on this is my favorite. Hey, we won't be any dumber then than we are now. And, you know, we recognize one another now. So, so here's the thing. Peter never saw Moses before or Elijah. There were no paintings or photographs. How did he recognize them? I don't know, but I like it. It means we won't have to try to figure out. We won't need little name cards or badges or anything to say like, now who are you again? We're going to be able to know because we're going to know what, well, we're going to be in a whole different frame and, and mindset and world. Well, in any case, as they meet with Jesus who appears in glory, they spoke, we read in verse 31, of his decease. That word beyond amazing. If you saw it in the Greek, you'd recognize it. The letters are very similar to ours. It's the word Exodus. Moses talking with Jesus about Jesus' exodus, which he would accomplish, we read, at Jerusalem. Now, the exodus of Moses, we understand it. It's God using Moses to bring the children of Israel out of the bondage and slavery of Egypt. And here's Jesus bringing us out of the bondage and slavery of sin, of deception, of, of death. And so it's a glorious picture for us. There he is in glory, speaking of his decease that he would accomplish. And to speak of the cross as an accomplishment is a reminder to us that, that this was always God's plan. Did he know Adam and Eve would sin? Yes. Did he make provision from the very beginning? There was a covenant between father and son that the son would come and redeem us and that this would happen through the shedding of his innocent blood. Well, Peter and the fellas, heavy with sleep, when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with them. Peter never forgets this, nor does John. John writes in his gospel, 
In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. Peter writes in 2 Peter uh, 1.16, We did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Interesting. Peter writes this. He leaves out two words. Hear him. But Peter's the one God speaks it to and maybe it was enough. He thought, oh, that was just for me. Don't need to mention it to you. We have it in the Gospels, fortunately. Well, we heard this voice, Peter says, which came from heaven when we were with him on the heavenly mount. So, again, while our mountaintop experiences are often followed by trials in the valley below, Jesus didn't have to wait. No, he had Peter, James, and John with them. Trials began immediately. They're sleeping, all is good. When they wake up, Peter blurts out, well, it's here in verse 33. Um, the others start to part. Peter says to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. Now, I like Dr. Luke. He's kind to Peter. He says, I just didn't know what he was talking about. You know, it's Peter, right? And, and, and so that's kind of the, the idea. But you do have to give Peter some credit for this. He is excited about the kingdom. He was looking forward to the kingdom of God. Why? Not just because he thought he'd have a place or a part in it, though that was certain. Yes, he had some selfish ambition. We'll see Jesus dealing with that. But he was looking forward to the rule and reign of righteousness on the earth. And if you have read ahead, if you look around and you think, how can God let this continue? I mean, how much worse can it get? Well, we'll get to see until the trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ rise first and we're caught up together with them. But here's the issue. The kingdom will come. Jesus will return. He will establish his rule and reign of righteousness on this earth. And we should be looking forward to that. We should be rejoicing in that, excited about that. And Peter was. Well, he's thinking, of course, this is it. Here's Elijah. Malachi said Elijah was going to come before the great and dreadful, terrible day of the Lord. And here's Elijah. Here's Moses. Wasn't expecting him, but that's cool, too. And, and let's build some tabernacles. Let's set up the base camp. Let's start establishing the kingdom from here. Now, I don't know if you've been in this kind of situation where you're with someone who you totally connect with, you know, you just see things eye to eye. Then you run into some friends or others, you know, family members at a gathering or something and, and, and you're having a conversation and everything's going good and then they blurt out something completely bizarre and stupid. If that's ever happened to you, you've probably done one of these where you raise your eyes a little, just, you know, looking at your friend, right? I'm thinking Jesus does that with the Father here, you know. 
I can't say it for sure, but but I can picture the father saying, hey, I got this one. You know, uh, I'll deal with this. So the cloud overshadows them. And as the cloud does, we're told they were fearful as they entered the cloud. Well, Peter's already quiet then, isn't he? A voice comes out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son. He affirms Jesus as he did at the baptism. And then he commands them to hear him. When the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone, but they kept quiet, told no one in those days any of the things they had seen. Look at verse 44, because it is so important to this command to hear him. When the father says specifically, pay attention to what Jesus has to say. And then Jesus in verse 44, and we'll read it twice. I want you to see it now and then we'll come back to it in a moment. Let these words sink down into your ears. Jesus is saying, hey, pay close attention to this. For the son of man is about to be betrayed into the hands of of men. We'll see the context in a moment, but I think part of what Jesus is doing is he's saying, listen, I know you're excited about the kingdom, but the, there are some things that are going to happen between now and then, between here and there. And you're going to have to wait and you're going to have to trust and you're going to have to walk by faith and, and not by sight. Well, all of that preparation for what lies ahead. There is one more thing before we press on. When the voice ceased, we read, Jesus was found alone. All that means is Moses was gone and Elijah was gone. And yet one more glorious picture for us because the law and the prophets point to Jesus. Again, our need for and the promise of. But once Jesus comes, he fulfills the law. He fulfills the prophets. So it's not about Moses. It's, it's not about Elijah. It's about Jesus. It's Jesus alone. And whenever Christians, and many do, get all caught up in the law, Jesus is always backburnered. He, he becomes the second. It's the law in Jesus or the law that points to Jesus. But the emphasis always ends up on the law. Read the book of Acts. In fact, you should be. Wednesday night, our survey, Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. This week, book of Acts. If you're not coming on Wednesday, read it anyway. Tune in, listen on the radio or get a CD or, or log on and check it out. But by all means, read the book of Acts. And you're going to see that this very thing happens. People are like, ah, Jesus, he's awesome. But we got to get people circumcised and obeying the law of Moses. And, and the bottom line is it's not about the law. It's about him. It's not about the prophets. And when people get all hung up on prophecy, and I'm excited about prophecy. I know that the fulfillment of so many Old Testament prophecies literally is the promise that the rest will be fulfilled literally as well. I believe it wholeheartedly. But here's the thing, as excited as I am about it, I'm only as excited as, as it relates to him and what he's wanting to do and accomplish. And if I get all hung up on prophecy, I can actually get away from the one, the prophets, we're pointing to. And you can always tell when Christians are drifting away from the Lord because they become issue oriented. Whatever the issue is, whatever the deal is. And when you see Christians, and I pray this is the kind of Christians each of us will be, every one of you will be, that are just 
in love with Jesus and on fire for Jesus and wanting to be more like him and more pleasing to him. Well, you're going to see great things happening in that life and in that family and in this community. Well, in any case, Jesus was there alone, but they kept quiet, told no one in those days any of the things which they had seen. Well, as Pastor Sam called them, what a mountaintop experience it was that Peter, John, and James had that day watching Jesus transfigured into his glory. Now, personally, I can't get enough of those type of experiences, and I'm very thankful that once I am in heaven with our Lord, I believe it will be one nonstop mountaintop experience, one that nothing I have ever experienced on this side of the grave could even come close to in comparison. 2 Corinthians 4.17 tells us, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. However, I have to be careful to not think that on this side of the grave, mountaintop experiences are going to be the norm. Now, they simply give me a testimony of what awaits. A testimony that I take with me back down into the valley, back down to the place where Jesus has work for you and I to do. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.